Today on CityCast Pittsburgh, it's the Friday News Roundup. I'm with CityCast Megan Harris, Mallory Falk, and Francesca DeBecco. And we're talking about the best spots to peep the leaves this weekend, the ableist conversations around Fetterman and ugh, the Steelers, and yay, the Pens. It's Friday, October 14th. I'm Morgan Moody, and this is CityCast Pittsburgh. It's Friday. We do have a job and we got ish to do. Um, And I like finding out what ish there is to do on the weekends from newsletter editor Francesca DeBecco. Hello. Hey. You're the only reason I have a social calendar. (laughs) Lead producer Megan Harris. Hello. I feel like I need to be putting you first too now. (laughs) Oh, I'm still here for now. For now. Okay. And producer Mallory Falk. Hello. Hello. Uh, yeah, so sometimes, I don't know, the election gets ridiculous, and other times it's, it's just plain mean. Yep, it's true. I mean, we've been having a lot of fun talking about spooky season, but it is also yeah. election season. Also scary. Also, yes. Arguably <laughs> a thousand times scarier. Horrific. <laughs> Sending chills down my spine way more than any haunted house could ever do. Um, and yeah, I don't know, I want to talk about like the coverage and the discourse this week around John Fetterman. Um, As we know, he's the Democratic candidate for U.S. Senate running against Dr. Oz. He had a stroke back in May. And this week, NBC Nightly News ran his first on-air TV interview since then. And just like the framing of that interview and the whole conversation around it has struck me as pretty ableist and disappointing. Um, Have any of you seen this interview? Like, is this on your radar at all? Yeah, I'm really glad you brought this up, Mallory, because I've been thinking about it a lot and I have lots of thoughts. I have seen it now, honestly, as a reaction to everybody else saying that it was a little, uh, you know, makes them a little uncomfortable. It's actually really short. So if you do want to pop it open later uh, and you need to feel fiery about something, it's a good one to get you warmed up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can start your head into the weekend with a healthy dose of outrage. Um, <laughs> but so for those who haven't seen it yet, um, you know, Fetterman used closed captioning during the interview. Uh, he said that since the stroke, he's had issues with auditory processing, you know, processing what he hears. Um, and so live transcription or closed captioning allows him to read and respond to questions in real time. But I don't know, to me, it seems like this was presented as kind of like a gotcha or somehow evidence that Fetterman isn't fit for office, has Mm. cognitive impairment. Like leading into the segment, the reporter who interviewed him, her name's Dasha Burns, um, she said, you know, this was unlike any political interview she's ever done. Um, And she said, quote, in small talk before the interview without captioning, it wasn't clear he was understanding our conversation, which it's kind of like, I mean, yeah, he said he needs captioning to help him process what's being said. So is this a story that a person who uses an accommodation needs that accommodation? I need close captioning in real life conversations. Yeah, truly. Yes. If it's available, I turn it on every single time because my brain is too like challenged at this point to focus on one medium alone if I can have the option of having audio and video link up so that I can see it and hear it at the same time it's enormously helpful Mm -hmm. I need that in my life yeah I think it's just also normalizing these things should be the focus not calling them out like we should be looking at something like a disability accommodation as 
something that represents us, not fails us. Right. Because guess what? There's like 2 million adults in Pennsylvania that have a disability. Well, and the word I think that, you know, a lot of this rhetoric has been based on, at least in that clip, was empathy of all things, um, which seems kind of ironic given how people have been talking about it. Um, Because Fetterman's looking at the screen and he says something to the effect of, you know, I feel like I had empathy for Pennsylvanians before this medical event. Um, But, you know, this has shifted his perspective. But he stops on the word empathy and kind of like stutters and empath, empathetic, empathy. He says it correctly. And then he ends it correctly. But I don't know, that just didn't seem weird to me. Like, that's how most people talk. They just they have to think about their words for a second. And then they keep going. I don't know. Was that weird to anybody else? No, I think the the idea that you're that to make a judgment on someone's like, I don't know, intellectual capacity, which isn't what this is, right? Like, it's, but yeah, it's based, on, ability based to on a disability not, is not yeah. right, right. It's not the it, that's not what it is. And what about the hypocrisy from TV reporters who use teleprompters literally every day to do their job? Like, <laughs> That's a great point. Yeah. Um, well, you know, some of those TV reporters have uh, spoken out after this interview and and really said some kind of gross things. Um, you know, one political correspondent with CBS News tweeted, will Pennsylvanians be comfortable with someone representing them who had to conduct a TV interview that way? Um, And then Chris Matthews went on Morning Joe and he said that the interviewer was, quote, soft. She was reasonable and she asked reasonable questions of a guy who cannot answer the question because he has to look at the monitor, which it's like, well, first of all, the monitor is helping him answer the questions. He did answer them. Um, And then I actually saw a great tweet from Chris Potter, who covers politics for WESA, saying, you know, like, if you've followed Fetterman's campaign, he's been open about the fact that he uses closed captioning. Like, what did you think this would look like? He said, quote, did you think the captions appeared direct? on his retina like yeah he's gonna look at a monitor for them i really liked one from kara swisher um she's been an economist and pundit for decades she has really wildly popular podcasts um she said she spoke to fetterman for an hour recently and he was great and that maybe this specific reporter just sort of sucked at small talk (laughs) yeah yeah and i mean she wasn't the only one who weighed in like several journalists who've interviewed fetterman since his stroke said he was great um and you know his team has said as doctors expect the auditory processing issues will eventually go away as he recovers but I think like even if they don't or regardless there's this implication here that people with disabilities people who use accommodations aren't fit for office or at least require some like extra level of scrutiny and I think beyond Fetterman there's this larger question about how we talk about and view disability I've seen a lot of people who have auditory processing issues or deaf folks or people with other disabilities just say that you know, the discourse these past few days and really like on the campaign trail since Fetterman has had his stroke has been hurtful and harmful. Yeah. Right. And I appreciate how open he's been about his recovery. And I think that does help to normalize it. But the backlash is just um, it's really it's really gross. So how has Fetterman responded to all of this? Yeah. So, I mean, a hallmark of his campaign has been dissing Oz online and he stayed (laughs) true to form here. Um, On Wednesday, he tweeted, recovering from a stroke in public isn't easy, but in January, I'm going to be much better and Dr. Oz will still be a fraud. So had to work in that dig at uh, Oz as he responded. Um, Then he also did a Facebook Live interview with Penn Live on Wednesday. Um, Here's what he said. So the, the elephant in the room for a lot of folks is that I had a stroke. Um, and there are, there's no 
there's no secret that sometimes I'm going to miss words and sometimes I'm going to mush two words together. And, and that's, that's the truth. Uh, and that truth uh, could have been fatal. And I'm just so grateful that I actually survived. And was it, not only did I uh, survive, I was, had the opportunity to be able to be the candidate in the, the race right now. And, you know, with Dr. Oz as a doctor has chosen to mock that or to make light of it or to say things that I, I just don't understand how a doctor, you know, would, you know, would want somebody that was sick to remain to be sick and celebrating, you know, missing words and, and uh, having that made fun of. So the election is a few weeks away. Do we think this is going to harm Fetterman in the polls at all? Like how big of a concern is his health? Yeah, I mean, his health has come up a fair bit, um, at least, or especially in the media. There are these constant calls for him to release his medical records. Megan, I know you have some feelings about that. (laughs) I just don't understand why, you know, we have this notion recently that I, as a voter, deserve that much access to a candidate's personal life. Right. With the president, I get it. You know, like there's only one president. They have access to our nuclear codes, they command our armed forces, but like the Senate and anything lower, there's lots of people that can step in and, you know, contribute to the governing of our nation. It Why? Why is this a thing that we demand of some people and not of others? Yeah. So even if Fetterman wanted to comply with this and say, like, you know, I want to release these records just to prove that I am healthy enough to, you know, serve in Senate, um, what would they be getting out of it and what would what would they actually be releasing? Yeah, usually it's like a one to four page document where a doctor either writes on behalf of the candidate or the candidate just approves everything they say. Um, <laughs> you get ridiculous comments like a vigorous 77 year old male, which is what Biden's medical records send during the campaign. <laughs> that's <laughs> in 2020. That's a lie. Vigorous is triggering as <laughs> a word for me because of all those, uh, you know what, commercials in the early 2000s. Um, vigorous and I don't want that in my head with Biden's face. (laughs) Trump's was equally funny. Um, But there's no rule that anyone has to comply with this at all or in what way that information should come to us. Mm -hmm. Um, Actually, when you mentioned this topic, Mallory, I went digging around because it occurred to me that for the longest time, our politicians sort of went out of their way not to disclose their medical histories. Um, You know, Franklin Delano Roosevelt with polio. Chester Arthur had a kidney problem, I guess. Um, And JFK had Addison's and he took a ton of pain medication for back pain and other issues. Mm. Um, So I guess no one really talked about it that much until a cancer survivor actually ran for the Democratic presidential nomination in the 90s. His name was Paul Tungus. He'd stepped down from national politics several years before, citing his illness. Then after years in remission, he ran for the presidential nomination. So his fitness, as it were, was a big question at the time. So he presented his medical records, which were fine. Um, But here's the thing. He ultimately died of cancer in 1997. If he'd won the presidency, he would have been in palliative care by the end of his term. So I guess after that, everyone got a lot more nebby, especially when John McCain ran for president in 2008, um, because he'd had a much more complex medical history from being a prisoner of war um, and other things. So I think it's important that we think about that in context. Like, this is not a thing that people have historically complied with, especially below the presidential candidate level. 
It's so wild how these things that everyone kind of just accepts now as like a standard part of campaigning or a standard part of the political process. Some of it is so recent. Well, and the language is like so-and-so failed to comply with blah, blah, blah. And it's like... Comply with what? What, what is this? <laughs> yeah, well, why, why is that a failure? Like it's an option, not a requirement. I don't know. It's weird. <laughs> and so back to Fetterman's chances. Yeah, I mean... You know, obviously, I think some people are questioning like how much he's how fully he's recovered from the stroke. Um, There was a period when he wasn't really out on the campaign trail because of it. Um, But I've heard from reporters on the ground talking to voters who, you know, say like a lot of Pennsylvanians have health issues. There are people there. There are voters they're talking to are saying, well, I had a stroke. I had a heart attack. I'm doing okay." And, uh, you know, Fetterman's whole deal is kind of being this like normal, relatable guy. That's how he's presenting himself. And so in some ways, this is another issue that he can connect with people on because, I mean, Francesca, like you pointed out, you know, disability, the need for accommodations, that's something that affects millions of people. So many people have experienced uh, health challenges. And so I think that's kind of how he and his team are presenting this is that this is just another thing that he can connect with people on. And it seems like it hasn't hurt him too much. He's still six percentage points up in the most recent 538 poll. Yeah. I was listening to something to tape from a recent rally where he asked everyone who was there to raise their hand if they'd had a serious health challenge or if their parent or grandparent or child had. Francesca, I see you in your little uh, screen <laughs> raising your hands. Raise my hand. <laughs> and uh, yeah, you know, pretty much everyone in the crowd raised their hands. And then he said he hoped um, that they don't have a doctor in their life making fun of them or telling them they're not fit to work. And that was obviously a knock at uh, Dr. Oz and how his campaign has treated Fetterman's stroke. So, yeah. Do you like to dance, look at beautiful art, eat gourmet snacks, people watch? Well, mark your calendars for Friday, June 7th for one of my favorite parties in Pittsburgh. It's Mattress Factory's 25th Garden Party. The theme this year is make-believe, and it's all to celebrate and support the creatives in our community. There's going to be live music, an open bar, an art auction, and probably my favorite, the costume contest. Trust me, I will be judging yins and so will everyone else there be playful be imaginative explore your magical realm because this is a theme party you want to come dressed to impress you must be 21 and up to attend and rest assured every dollar raised goes directly towards supporting the museum its art its education and all of its community outreach initiatives get your tickets now to the 25th mattress factory garden party they are in our show notes and online at mattress.org. So guys, we touched on election season, but are you ready to talk about leaf peeping season? That's really the best part of the fall season. <laughs> right. Not the election. <laughs> right. And it does need some beauty in the world right we now. We need, yeah. Right. And it is statewide. So it's, it's you know, filling that trend. Um, but did you guys know that Pennsylvania has a longer and more varied fall foliage season than anywhere else? Not just in the nation, but in the world. We're so cute. This is shocking to me. I really would have guessed somewhere in New England. Right. Me too, actually. Well, it's colder yeah. there. I don't know. This makes sense to me. I've lived in New England, and I th- they did have a gorgeous fall foliage, but Pennsylvania is also. It is 
undoubtedly gorgeous there, but Pennsylvania is this special meeting ground of northern trees that flourish only on mountaintops further south and southern species there that are at their northern limits of their range. So it's really, it's, it's kind of like a melting pot of <laughs> all of these different beautiful uh, autumn trees. Aren't we one of like just a the few regions in what the world that have this sort of uh, uh, support for this kind of forest and this, th these kind of colors. Yeah, that's right. So it's the Eastern North America, the British Isles and part of Northwestern Europe and Northeastern China and Northern Japan. Mm -hmm. And I know Elizabeth, who is playing our producer today, is heading to the Laurel Highlands this weekend to admire the foliage and I pulled some stats on that region. It supports 134 species of trees and a lot of other shrubs and vines that contribute to this display of autumn color. Um, you'll see a lot of tulip tree, red oak, eastern hemlock, sugar maple, American beech, pawpaw, and basswoods in that region. Pawpaw shout out. Yeah, pawpaws. <laughs> Um, what about the rest of the state, though? Um, I mean, Laurel Highlands love them, of course, but curious about mm -hmm. others. Yeah. So if you're looking for which regions are approaching and in the midst of their peak color, the Pennsylvania Department of Conservation and Natural Resources publishes a weekly map and their new one just came out yesterday. We can link it in the show notes. Um, I actually talked to Ryan Reed on the phone this week. He's the natural resource program specialist for the State Bureau of Forestry, and he's responsible for creating that map that comes out every week. How do they do that? With like satellite images? Surprisingly, there's like no high tech involved. It's based on dozens of reports from foresters across the state. So they all report to him. He puts together the data and creates this map. So it's a real boots on the ground kind of approach. He said that typically the season could be pretty predictable based on historical documentation. But in the past 30 or so years, the fall foliage has been delayed as much as 10 days to two weeks. I think I saw a New York Times article about that. Is that the um, like the climate change thing? Like that's how it's affecting or one way that it's affecting our region? Exactly. Yeah. Reed said that we're seeing effects on all kinds of tree species, like the poster child for fall color, as he said, the sugar maple, um, which is losing dominance at the northern tier of our state. And our state tree, the eastern hemlock, um, it's been susceptible to insects that are now living longer and creating more damage because of the warmer winters. So things are definitely changing. I thought this was supposed to be our feel-good story for the day. <laughs> yeah. I know, I know. Well, here's the thing. Um, the good news is, is that there's an entire state committee working on a climate change adaptation and mitigation plan for our forests. So the fall leaves are changing, but, you know, we just got to go out there and enjoy them before too much change is done. Um I'm glad that there's such people... a dire. Um, that's such <laughs> well, let's bring it back up just marketing. a little bit. <laughs> let's. Uh, uh, what's one place that you would go? You know, within driving distance of Pittsburgh to check out pretty leaves this weekend. Well, one of my favorite spots is the Allegheny Cemetery. It's perfect for mm. spooky season in Lawrenceville. Uh, mm -hmm. Yes, in Lawrenceville. Um, there's something about the golden orange hues in the background of all the big headstones and sculptures and mausoleums. It's it's really beautiful. And it's pretty quiet. And you can hear like the leaves rustling. It's peaceful. Yes. Crunchy leaves. Mm -hmm. What about you guys? 
I, you know, I like Frick Park. Frick Park has mm-hmm. um, a lot of really nice colors, and a lot of the time I'll go through and like just take pictures of the, you know, the changing color leaves, and that's kind of like my my fall inspo. I also love Frick Park. That I think it's really special that we have a place you can go and feel like you've completely stepped out of the city, even mm-hmm. though it's right inside of it. And just feel like you're in this like fall forest wonderland. So true. I'm going to pick a spot on the North Shore. Uh, It's like a stretch just northeast of the Rachel Carson Bridge where there's all these beautiful trees that line the um, Three Rivers Heritage Trail. Um, And we're like at the exact moment when all the leaves start to fall and they're the kind that kind of twinkle their way down. So if you ride your bike or you go for a run or a walk down through there, it's like so magical and peaceful. It makes me happy every time. I love that. Well, if your weekend plans uh, don't include leaf peeping and instead include watching the Steelers, I don't know why. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> Is that an endorsement or like a, an anti-endorsement? I mean, I, I know why, right? We support there are boys, but like... Oh, man, what's happened, Megan? What's happened to this season? Yeah, uh, I mean, we're dead last in the North, dead last in the AFC, and tied for dead last in the entire league. Um, I know they started the season calling it a rebuilding year, but it's not a good look for a team that's really historically hung its hat on Tomlin's coaching record. Of all the coaches in the NFL right now, he's been a head coach the longest Uh, second longest bill belichick is still around but the steelers love to say that tomlin has never had a losing season i love the semantics on that well yeah but never losing (laughs) doesn't sound the same as winning (laughs) yeah uh it means that he's always had at least an even number of wins and losses and he has had more winning records than not but um yeah we're one and four headed into sunday's home game against the bucks which means tom brady so i don't have a ton of hope yeah if you're not into that, there is some good news because the pen season has started up and that runs for a very long time. So so maybe we can <laughs> maybe we can recoup some uh, city pride <laughs> in the pens. It's really a gift hockey season coming this week. It is. We're recording this before their Thursday home opener, but I don't know. I got hopes for this season. Yeah. I have um, hope for every season, though, to be honest. I, I go into any oh, you're Pittsburgh cute. season wildly optimistic. I always <laughs> think we're going to win everything. It doesn't matter. That's the kind of that's the kind of uh, vibe we need to put out. That's into the kind the city. of yeah. Yeah. Blind like, optimism. Delusional support. <laughs> uh, just to recap from the offseason, our trio is back. Uh, that's Evgeny Malkin, Chris Letang. Um, they both got four-year deals with a full no-trade clause, wow. which means that neither can be traded unless they actually agree to it themselves. Um, and then Sidney Crosby is signed for three more years, and he's expected to re-up for three more um, pretty soon. So that means that the three of them will get to play at least 20 years together with the same wow. team. It's like totally unprecedented in professional that's like a sports sport. that's a sports prenup <laughs> <laughs> i was gonna say as someone who really doesn't pay attention to pittsburgh sports i apologize like even i know these <laughs> names because you know 20 years like through osmosis i i heard these names back in like high school um but i guess like is Given that, like, is this a good thing? Like, are they a little old to still be playing at this level or? They're definitely old. Yes. Uh, (laughs) Latang will be 41 when his contract expires. Uh, Malkin and Sid both will be 39. Um, I mean, but like, you know, Tom Brady's 45 and he's going to kick our Steelers tail this weekend, I'm sure. Um, So, yeah, I don't know. I think it's interesting 
to looking at like the challenge that they've set up for themselves because they have won three championships together. But, you know, that was different. They were a bunch of kids when they did that the first time in 2009. Um, So if they were able to do it again, it would be like this really incredible, difficult task that they've set for themselves. I don't know. It's like sort of fun to watch it happen in real time or at least them attempt it, you know. And you know how Pittsburgh holds on to tradition, nostalgia, we hate change. Like, maybe that spirit is enough to carry them through to another championship. And also the that and power better of friendship. Yeah, sure. <laughs> that and friendship, the real bond. Besties. Besties and, and goaltending. <laughs> the, three, the three amigos take the ice at home again tomorrow at 7 o'clock. That's all for today here on CityCast Pittsburgh. Our team this week includes Megan Harris, Mallory Falk, Francesca DeBecco, Elizabeth Kama, and me, Morgan Moody. Music is by Benji and Epidemic. All right, we'll be back on Monday with more news from around the city, so we'll see you then. Can you imagine in your 30s taking a hit like one one standard hockey hit? Like I'd be I'd be done for a month. I had to cancel a skiing trip because I pulled out my bag reaching down to get my suitcase. So, no. I can't. <laughs> Just, I'm at that I'm at that age. Hey friends, producer Megan here. If you're finding this episode a little after our normal 6 a.m. drop, then you may have heard a mistake on our part. An earlier version of this episode said that Steelers coach Mike Tomlin was the longest tenured coach in the NFL. We fixed it, but thought you might want to know, he's actually the second longest. New England Patriots coach Bill Belichick has been with that team for 22 years. So Tomlin's got to log a few more in the hot seat before he catches up. Thanks, y'all.